0: Langston Hughes, titled Harlem. He writes, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore, and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat, or crust and sugar over? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? Our second reading is from the poet Georgia Douglas Johnson, My Little Dreams. She writes, I'm folding up my little dreams within my heart tonight and praying I may soon forget the torture of their sight. For time's draft fingers scroll my brow with fell, relentless art. I'm folding up my little dreams tonight within my heart.
1: As communities in Harlem are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Harlem Renaissance, those words of Langston Hughes remind us that we are always hoping for spring and for the budding of new possibility and life. Our journey this morning takes us to Montego Bay in Jamaica in 1875. There was an Anglican church where a new baby was baptized and his Family was celebrating and joyous, and they raised him and they started to nurture him and love him and teach him the faith of the Church of England as it was expressed in Jamaica. Fast forward many years, the young child is now a choir boy singing in that very same church in Montego Bay. And it's one Easter Sunday when they start singing the Athanasian Creed the choir starts chanting it out and the congregation joins in. Now, if you were Anglican, perhaps some Methodists, um, Lutheran, definitely Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox, you know the Athanasian Creed and it is very long and very detailed. The whole intent of the creed is to sing in the praises of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Well, it goes on and on with examples of what is the Trinity, how is that expressed? And this choir boy was singing these words And he loved math, by the way. (laughs) And it was one of the formulations of the Trinity. And he started adding it up. One, two, three equals one. And in that moment, that choir boy, without having the words to describe it, became a Unitarian. (laughs) His name was Ethelred Brown. And he, from that moment on, would continue to serve the church in some way here and there. But he had lost the center of his Anglican faith. For him in that church, it was the expression of what is God? It is a triune God. And he lost that sense, that feeling that that was true for him in that moment. And as he grew up, he felt calling to the the ministry in some way, but he didn't want to be an Anglican priest because he could not authentically represent the faith. And so many years later, he was a clerk working uh, in the Jamaican government, and um, he was pretty successful. He married, he had children, he was continuing to work for the government, he was working on housing reforms, financial reforms, and we're talking the very early 1900s that he is doing this work, and the government finally said, you're out. We no longer have money to support your work, you are out. And this broke Ethelred's heart. He lost what he felt was his purpose in life, which was to build up the people of Jamaica and to improve the government. And so he went over to his uncle's house and he was just heartbroken. He didn't know where to go with his life. He didn't know what to do, what was the next step. And he noticed something sitting on his uncle's uh, kitchen table there. And it was a little pamphlet titled, The Lord our God is One. God, written by William Ellery Channing, who was the minister that spearheaded the Unitarian movement in the United States in the 1800s. And he asked his uncle, what is this about? And his uncle said, oh, no, 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 you cannot read this pamphlet. I don't think you're ready. (laughs) You see, I am a Unitarian. And that was the first time Ethelred Brown had heard the word Unitarian. And I do not affirm the Trinity. And I believe this minister and this movement have something to teach us still. But I don't think you're ready. We don't know why his uncle said that, but Ethelred pestered his uncle and said, give me that pamphlet. (laughs) And in that pamphlet, it was the foundational sermon of the Unitarian movement in the United States. And that's when, in that moment, reading those words, Ethelred knew he was to be a Unitarian minister. He contacted the American Unitarian Association, and they were kind. You know, they're like, yes, you can come uh, if you can get here. We will not support you in your journey to the United States, but if you can get here, you can go to seminary. And so he packed up his bags, he applied to Meadville Seminary, my alma mater. It was still in Meadville, Pennsylvania back then, and he boarded a ship. And when he got to New York, they denied him entry to the country, and he had to make the journey back to Jamaica. He tried to work this out with the American Unitarian Association. And again, they said, well, if you can get here, we really can't afford to support you. And he went again, and they denied him entry to the country once more. It was the third time, it's kind of a joke, a Unitarian. And on the third try, (laughs) he finally made it into the country. And he went to Meadville Seminary, graduated near the top of his class, and then went back to Jamaica to start founding congregations in Montego Bay and Kingston, Jamaica. This sounds like a great story, but the story does not get any better for Ethelred Brown. He should have realized that the AUA, the American Unitarian Association, not supporting him was a sign of things to come in his life. As he founded a congregation in Montego Bay, the AUA gave him a little money, and he said, We need more money. We need to be fostering these communities. And at that time, the National Church was all about missional communities. Let's grow Unitarianism worldwide. Let us spread our faith every corner of this planet we sometimes forget we had missional work as Unitarians and Universalists but we did to spread the light of a free faith not bound by creed and the AUA said no we're not going to give you any more money unless you move to Kingston and focus on that congregation and so the Montego Bay congregation lost its leader it lost its membership and in Kingston he again appealed to the Unitarians in Boston and they said no you will not get money we don't have time to give you money You need to come to America and work here, and then we'll support your missions. And so he packed up his bags again. He left his wife and children behind. They would join him at a later date. And he arrived in Harlem in 1920. He was 45 years old, and his ministry career was finally starting to take some shape in Harlem. And he founded the Harlem Community Church, a Unitarian church in Harlem, as the Harlem Renaissance was starting to take off, and poets and artists and thinkers were just creating this beautiful symphony of art and expression from the African-American community. And he founded this church, and people were joining. And he again appealed to the American Unitarian Association. We need money to make this happen. And the president at the time, and the president who had been the president of the association this whole time, Samuel Atkins Elliott II, the second, there's the third, then there's Junior, they all, same family was in power for a very long time, said, no, I will not support you, you are a nuisance to our association. You keep asking for money and we have no money, even as they were sending money to other congregations near and far to support their missions. And there's another man named Hillary Bygrave, who was the number two in command with Samuel Atkins Elliott II. And he said, drop it. We will not warn you once more to drop it. And this was interesting because Ethelred Brown didn't understand why he was meeting resistance from the American Unitarian Association. And, and Samuel Atkins Elliott even thought of himself as a very enlightened man. He remarked once upon visiting Florida, he said, speaking of black people, I can't get enough of them. Here they are, above average, for they can read and write. But such happy-go-lucky, merry, shiftless rascals, I never tire of listening to them. I've seen a good deal of them work well for a white man, and I've done a great deal of leading them. This is the president of our association in 1920s. Ethelred Brown heard these words and still pressed on. He had such a deep commitment to the Unitarian faith, to seeing our principles and our values spread far and wide, that he kept on, even as they said, no, 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 no. He asked them one more time, and the response was, your fellowship as a minister, your standing as a minister is hereby revoked. And he appealed to them why have you revoked my ministry, my credentials as a minister? I have done nothing wrong. And they said, we're very sorry, the decision stands. And so he wrote a hymn that he sent to them and dedicated it to the board of the American Unitarians. And it sounded something like this. The price I pay, the price I pay, the price I pay, the gross I bear. That is what he wrote and sent to the Unitarian leadership when they refused his fellowship to be reinstated. And so he got a lawyer. And the American Unitarian Association remarked in their official documents, he received a lawyer, a Jew of the type you would expect. and he got his fellowship reinstated. It wasn't until Etherwood Brown retired many years later that he was able to receive a working wage through the American Unitarian Association's pension. They still paid him a pension, even though he had scraped by years and years throughout his ministry. His wife could not take the pain of everything that was being done to him and lived out the rest of her days in an asylum. One of his sons ended his life prematurely, and his other sons and daughters moved away, as far away as they could from the Unitarian faith. Ethelwood Brown, even with all of this done to him by this faith, wrote something that just, it breaks your heart but gives you some hope. He said, this church is an institution of religion dedicated to the service of humanity, seeking the truth and freedom. It strives to apply it in love for the cultivation of character fostering fellowship in work and worship and the establishment of a religious social order which will bring an abundance of life. Even with everything that had happened to him in his life, he still had that hope for the Unitarian faith. He did die, as we all do, but he died without having the success he dreamed of. And there is no Harlem Unitarian Church to this day. There is no church in Kingston or Montego Bay. The projects that he started were never supported. And so they died with him as well. This is another one of those heartbreaking stories that we tell in Unitarian Universalism. Um, Stories that we need to reclaim. Stories that tell of a very human character, of the flaws of our leadership, the flaws of our ministers, the flaws of our members. And I feel very strongly that we need to keep lifting these up. As a faith tradition without one single scripture, it is our lives. It is our common humanity. It is the heartbreak and the joy and success that is our scripture. It's the stories that you tell, that you tell, that you tell, every single person tells, that becomes the ever evolving, changing religious scripture of this tradition. And the story of Ethelred Brown is one that often gets forgotten. When the Unitarians and Universalists merged in 1961, there's great celebration. Look, we're creating something new, a new religion for a new era. And in many ways, in that excitement, these stories of our tradition were lost. They were no longer told. They were no longer put in the books that we give to our seminarians, that we put on our websites, that um, that we preach from our pulpits. They were lost. And we're in an age where we're recovering these stories. Samuel Atkins, Elliot II, um, I forget which one he is often, but he was a person of his time, but that is not an excuse because he held to a faith tradition that said all people are equal, all people have worth and dignity, the light of the divine is in each and every single one of us without regard to race, creed, age, etc., etc. I feel these stories are so very important because they tell us in this moment, what we need to be doing as Unitarian Universalists. It doesn't mean we have to be tied to those stories, but it does mean we need to learn from them. What are the ways in which we are not paying attention, as we heard in the other story, to the bells of justice being rung right now? What are the ways in which we did not hear the bells of justice back in the 1900s? These stories tell us that there is always more work to do as Unitarians. But we pay attention to a lot of things, don't we? I pay attention to the news. I pay attention to the beautiful weather we're having in autumn. I pay attention to that, you're all here. Some of you pay attention to your favorite songs, your favorite artists, your favorite this and that. You have books and authors that you pay attention to. We pay attention to a lot of things. We pay attention to our values as Unitarian Universalists, the seven principles and the six sources. Everyone has inherent worth and dignity and so on and so forth. We pay attention to them. But do we have intention behind those values? I learned something interesting. I often don't define words for folks, but I learned that there's an obscure, I don't know if it's obscure, I I just didn't know it, a medical term, intention, means the process by which something heals Intention, the doctors are nodding, I have approval. (laughs) The process by which something heals. And this is a great way to think about intention. We're paying attention to, uh, intention, we're paying attention to something, but how do we move into a space where we are holding dear the process by which what we are paying attention to will heal? How will we be motivated to have action in our lives? Not just to go, Ah, oh, I agree, everyone has worth and dignity. And we are journeying toward wholeness as a religious community. But how do we make the process of healing? How do we have a part in that? And so it requires our action and our values as well. There was a Unitarian theologian named James Luther Adams. I've mentioned his name a lot. You might remember we had all the stones up on the stage, and I almost knocked over our director of religious exploration with them. (laughs) James Luther Adams came up with this idea called the five smooth stones of religious liberalism. You'll remember the story of David and Goliath, where he had one stone where he took down Goliath, but he had extra stones just in case in his satchel. And James Luther Adams listed these five smooth stones, and one is of particular interest right here. He said, we do not affirm the immaculate conception of virtue. I love that phrasing. The immaculate conception of virtue. Just because we think there's worth and dignity, just because we think justice, peace, and equity is a good idea, just because we affirm the interdependent web of existence, we're all connected, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't mean it's just going to pop up. Move us to action on its own. We have to want to do that. We have to focus on the healing the world needs to make our values come alive. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm always thrown off by clapping, but please, you can clap. There's always a debate in UU congregations do we clap, do we not? Do what's comfortable. Do what's comfortable, really, folks. But the immaculate conception of virtue is not a thing that we affirm or hold true. It takes elbow grease. It takes us being in the weeds, being in the mud, getting ourselves dirty in the work of the world. I think it was Marge Piercy that said, the work of the world is as common as mud. And it is indeed as common as mud. So what are the bells of justice today ringing out for us? What are the things that we are moved to put our action and the work of healing into, as a community and individually? How are you living your values as a Unitarian Universalist? How are you affirming worth and dignity and wholeness and healing in everything that you do? I want to share another poem from Georgia Douglas Johnson, one of the Harlem poets that we heard earlier. And she said when someone once remarked that her poems were without color or class, that they were very agreeable, To all people, her response was, they're not supposed to be agreeable. They're coming from me as a black woman in Harlem. And she wrote, this is my right to make my dreams come true. I ask, nay, I demand of life. Nor shall fate's deadly contraband impede my steps, nor countermand. Too long, my heart against the ground has beat the dusty years around. And now at length I rise, I wake, and stride into the morning break. Remember the words of Georgia Douglas Johnson, and pay attention to the bells of justice that are ringing. They're not just ringing because someone else will do the work. It takes every single one of us to build our faith, to build our community, to restore wholeness and journey toward that beloved community you use talk about so much. May it be so, blessed be, amen.